Welcome to episode 120 of Destination Linux. This is a podcast of opinions made up of four of the greatest minds ever discussing our passion for Linux. I'm Michael, and with me today are the three highly trained, very experienced, mediocre podcasters. Noah, how are you doing? I'm good. How are you, Michael? I'm doing fantastic. And Zev, how have you been? Yeah, I'm doing really well, thank you. So, Ryan? Yes, I'm doing awesome. I finally got to see the Avengers movie. So there you go. Oh, don't don't spoil it. I need to see that still, actually. I'm, the, the comic nerd hasn't watched the, the yeah, Avengers movie. I know the feeling. I know, right? So, uh, Noah, how's your week been? Good. I took my well, actually, terrible. I, I did it ended in a good way. I took my I took my kids to Avengers, so that's what's on the forefront of my mind. But I got a call on Wednesday, I believe it was, or Thursday. I'd just gotten back from Linux Fest Northwest, and I got a call from a client that said, Hey, we have a really weird problem. Our entire server drive ends with dot fuchsia. What's that about? And I went, Oh man, this is gonna be a fun day. And I said, Don't touch anything, shut everything off, <laughs> don't use anything. I am getting in my car. They're about nine hours away. I said, I'll be there nine hours. We will begin working on it. Just prepare to not get anything done the rest of the week. Ouch. And um, against my advice, they paid the ransom. So they paid uh, for the, uh, to get the encryption key. True to his word, the uh, attacker did send us, in short order, I might add too. I mean, we sent him the, we sent him the, the Bitcoin transaction. I'd say within two minutes, he replied and gave us a little executable that you put all the files in, in a directory and ran it. And it goes through and decrypts them all. And they got all their data so the back. The hacker wins. The hacker won. Yeah, see, that was my thing. Now we told him it's profitable and he should go do it again. Yeah. But uh, I, I gave my advice. What can I do? But you know, the, the problem with these companies is they look at it and they say, 1500 bucks for the key, couple million dollars worth of data, not really a discussion. We're going to take that chance. Um, so they and, didn't have any backups that were not impacted as well. And I assume this is not a normal client of yours then. They did. They are a normal client. They did have backups. However, uh, I was not made aware of the, uh, of the, this had been running for a couple of days, it looks like, and oh. it was just going through and they, they noticed it very late. I know that it had been running for a couple of days because the amount of files that were actually encrypted and how long it took to actually decrypt them. Uh, as far as backups, we had an on-site backup as well as an off-site backup that, that replicated every, at the end of every day. Um, it, unfortunately, that was not enough time. We would have had to have, I guess, multiple days worth of backups. Good news is they are now on ZFS with snapshots, and mm. so we are doing hourly snapshots uh, and, so, and, and, and keeping them for two weeks. So if the, we run into the problem again, we'll have the ability to just roll back snapshots. Of course, getting somebody to buy a, a FreeNAS appliance, that sometimes that takes a little bit of data loss to get there. Yeah, it's interesting. Are you using, I'm using Deja Dupe right now for a lot of my snaps. What are you using? Are you just using rsync module? Yeah, there's, yeah. so the on-site backup is, is, uh, is rsync and it's rsyncing every, at, the, at the end of uh, every business day. And then the off-site backup, I think, is every two days and is rsyncing uh, off-site or maybe three days. But it's supposed to give, the idea was if a problem cropped up or a virus popped up or something like that, I would, we would find out and just go back to the last previous backup. The other thing I learned um, after discussing with them a little bit was uh, there is really no benefit in a backup that's two or three days old because all of their stuff 
right. moves so fluid that they have like things come in, they run for a couple hours and then they close and they move on to the next thing. So if it's not hourly, it's basically useless to them is what I was told. So now how uh, did you figure out how, or have you guys figured out how the hacker got in? Was it a malicious link that they clicked? Yeah, unfortunately. So here's the thing. And this is, again, this is where, uh, you know, we make recommendations and you can't, you can lead a horse to water, but you can't make it drink. I suggested we scanned all the machines, could not find any trace of it. I said, the only way to be sure that you are rid of the virus and that this won't happen again is to wipe all your machines. And so if it was my, if they were my machines, that's what I would do. I'd wipe them all clean and I would start fresh. Uh, Additionally, they're running some older versions of Windows 7. I said, you know, really, you're going to hit EOL at the end of the year anyway. And so now might be a great time to upgrade to Windows 10. So that's probably what I would do if I were sitting in your shoes. At the moment, they've elected not to reinstall because they said, well, it looks like it's clean, right? And I'm like, as best we can tell, there are no registry registry uh, edits and, and spy, hunt, spy hunter and uh, what's the other one? Malware bytes did not find anything. So uh, I, I can't, I don't have any evidence to show you that any machines are infected, but I certainly wouldn't make a guarantee. And if it was my data, I probably wouldn't take the chance. And they said, well, if we purchase a, the, a, a free NAS appliance that has snapshotting, we'd be able to roll back. Right. And I said, yeah, that's true. So uh, I guess that's the route we're going to go and we'll see what happens. That's interesting. Yeah. There's a lot of businesses will say something like, um, like I had, I had one business that I was trying to get rid of. I was trying to convince them to get off of XP of all things. <laughs> and this is only like a, like two years ago. And they were saying something like, well, we had a risk assessment. Uh, okay. By, uh, who? Oh, our in-house it team. Oh, so the people whose job is to just do whatever you tell them to do says there's no problem. So they don't have to do anything. <clears throat> and like, yeah, okay. So they're still probably on XP at this point. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's it's. I'll tell, you, I'll tell you what was really funny, just to kind of tie the whole thing back to Linux a little bit. Uh, so I walked in there, and the the front desk girl was was telling me she was shocked because the first thing I did was plug my laptop in uh, to the server to kind of take a look at how much data was was uh, corrupted and all of that, or encrypted, I guess it were, as it were, and uh, kind of look at it. And she starts talking to me, and she's like, "Aren't you worried your laptop's going to get encrypted?" I'm like, "No, uh, <laughs> I'm not." At all, and she's like, "Why?" And I'm like, "It's PL code. It's not going to execute on Linux. Like, if there was, if I had a Samba share and something had write privileges to my laptop, then it theoretically could get infected. So I guess I could see that happening, uh, but that's not going to happen. So I had no problem communicating with the attacker on my laptop. No problem downloading code from the attacker and then uh, moving it over and executing, obviously in a contained virtual environment to uh, mm-hmm. to decrypt the data." Um, but yeah, it was really nice being able to exist inside of an environment and not have my box touched. In fact, the on-site box that we had there, the workstation we had there, was uh, was totally unaffected as well. And well, that's so, what you thought, Noah, but now I'll need two Bitcoin if you'd like to continue. Yeah, right, exactly. <laughs> yeah, I mean, here's the reality, right? The reality is, and I, you know, your joke, but the truth is there's no law that says somebody couldn't write a, you know, ransomware for Linux. It's just there are some obstacles you're going to have to overcome. Like, for example, you want the user to execute the code and you want it to do anything remotely powerful, you're probably going to need the user to put in his or her password. Mm-hmm. Uh, but you're right. It, it's it's it, the, the reason that Windows is targeted is not because Windows is that crappy of an operating system. It is, but that's not why it's targeted. It's targeted because of its popularity. And if Linux rose in popularity, you would start to see viruses and malware pop up for Linux. That's absolutely true. More popularity yeah. and the fact that a lot of I mean, Linux is obviously very popular in the type of data you could get in the server arena is even higher stakes, but I think you just have a higher caliber users in Linux to begin with, whereas Windows, you're going to have a mix. You may have very high caliber IT folks, but you're going to have a lot of dummies that don't even understand how an operating system works on there as well. Right. 
it's just going to be a lot easier to get people to click links and do things you want them to. Well, I mean, it's also, yeah. it's not, it's popularity, but also there's the, the structure of it is like having a password instead of just clicking okay is another example of like, this is a le well, level of I like, mean, maybe this is, you, you should think about what you're doing if you're putting in a password. 10, 10 does have privilege, it has a user privilege escalation, right? Where you have to enter a password. But I think, I, you know, and this is part yeah, of the security discussion that I had with the owner. When, when he asked me, he said, is there anything we can do to prevent this? And I said, listen, you know, we run antivirus scans on all the machines. We run, uh, we have a security gateway that is doing scans as data comes in and out. But at the end of the day, what you have to understand, what you have to accept is if you want to be able to send and receive files with other places and you want, and you want ordinary users to be able to do that and open those files without having to go through some sort of approval process, which is what some of our clients want. They want everything to come through us and we approve it and then they open it. That's fine. Um, but you know, what was a five minute job is going to turn into a week job because that's how backed up you're going to get. Mm -hmm. um, so to a certain degree, you just have to accept that if you want to participate in the world of 2019 technology with sending and receiving files, then you may come across, uh, you know, bad files that have malicious code. The way to deal with that is more robust backup situation. And so previously there, their backup solution, what we were authorized to do was repurpose a 15-year-old desktop. Obviously, that process has changed a little bit now, and, and so more options are on the table and open for discussion um, to, to make that backup solution more robust. Uh, and so that's what we're going to do. So that the, 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 the uh, virus writer, the crypto writer, is just really helping secure the platform in the future better. You know, honestly, I should. I'll pull this up. Uh, I'll pull this up in between one of the stories, and and we can read it or maybe cover it at the end of the show or something like that as part of the feedback. the The email that the guy sent was actually really funny. After he, you know, made this ransom and essentially extorted this place for money, he he was kind enough to include this little like bit about like here are the ports that you probably want to close here is the way to go through and <laughs> wow. no, like and he was like all helpful and kind helpful and nice and i'm actor. like yeah Do you realize you're a criminal right <laughs> <laughs> That's interesting. but there's nothing wrong with being a nice criminal you know <laughs> he was a i mean i gotta say he was a nice guy like and he even told me i was like you know because some of these things have time expiry things on it and i was like and he's like no 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 time expire you can take your time to pay us it's okay we'll wait and i'm like Okay. I mean, <laughs> thanks, I guess. I don't know. <laughs> Such, a a Such a sweetheart. Such a sweetheart. Anyway. He's a teddy bear. Yeah. Teddy so, bear hacker. So uh, also, um, Zeb, what trouble have you been getting into this week? Well, I've not got any, into any trouble now because I'm just trying to work out how to spend my $1,500. But <laughs> most, of my, most of my week, um, I've actually been spent testing uh, Peppermint 10, um, which is coming along very nicely and will be available soon with some very nice additions nice. and then of course i'm now starting to get excited about self 2019 because there are of course only just over fifty-five thousand three hundred and seventy-nine minutes to go before i land Look at that countdown. <laughs> so ryan what, what have you been up to this week we had our third north georgia linux and coffee lug meetup we had massive storms come in and so it Five people um, that normally would be there that the RSVP couldn't make it, but we did have still have a nice showing of, as Noah would say, people who truly love Linux made it their way uh, through there anyways, and we had a great time. The theme this week or this month was troubleshooting in Linux. So we have a lot of new users, we have a lot of advanced users that are coming to the lug, and they wanted a document that went through, you know, how to look at logs, how to deal with lockups, what logs to look up, um, you know, if, if you're running into issues with your system, how to deal with the blank 
screen with the blinking cursor type issues, fixing grub, um, backup solutions, that type of thing. So we wrote up this document. We're going to continue adding to it and then I'm going to release it out on the website, on my website, so everybody could go and potentially benefit from it. So if you get stuck with some of those things, but that's what we've been working on this week. And then we're going, we have two in the next month's event, we're going to have Bo come in and actually break into a machine live at the next. Nice. Nice. Fun. And we are also going to be doing the Arch install. And we delayed that. That was supposed to be this month because some of the folks who wanted to transfer their machines to Arch weren't around. So we delayed it till they can get back. So we've got a lot of cool things coming up for the North Georgia Linux Coffee and Meetup. It's in Ballground, Georgia. So if you guys can join, if you want, some people are talking about taking road trips uh, in the Telegram group to make it there. If you want to, that's what we'll be doing in the next couple months. So pretty cool stuff. That is very cool. I mean, that makes me ashamed of how little I do in mine. So, <laughs> all right. <laughs> well, thankfully I have people like Bo, you know, I mean, that makes it kind of cool, right? Okay. So moving on to the email this week. Um, and thank you very much indeed for, for writing in Bruno um, and for writing in a short email. So it's pleasant because we've also got, I think, a good bit of discussion to happen afterwards. So hi people, you have a great show. I think Noah has a lot of talent for making radio. The in-depth episode with Zeb was your best so far. What a nice man Bruno is. Right. Um, I relate to Zeb in many ways. I'm I have sorry. been looking at alternatives for the big G and the book with face. With all that has happened at this point, I think it's for ethical reasons that we should switch. What alternatives do you recommend for blogging, which someone else would read other than me later on? And what email would you suggest? Thanks beforehand for your attention, Bruno. For me, I don't do any of these types of things. Yeah, I'm still on the big G. I don't use Facebook other than for family things. So I wouldn't know the first thing about suggesting a blogging site. Well, first of all, there's no I use Facebook, but just for family things. That means you use Facebook. (laughs) No, I don't use it for, I don't let people know that I'm going to have a bath and soak there with a glass of wine. That's That's Instagram. Happy yeah. I mean, That's this it. is the problem is Facebook is still by you having the software, even if you're doing nothing on there, even if you post nothing is still acquiring your metadata, the same issues you most people face using Facebook still apply to you. The second you log into that stupid platform, um, even if it's on one of those containerized Firefox things, I mean, it still does wow. it, but it's a lot less. Yes, that helps. Certainly. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, here's the thing. I love this email because this is something so close to my heart. In fact, I'm going to be doing a whole video on de-googlifying your life and getting rid of these services and talking about alternatives. But since you brought up this awesome email, my suggestion, number one, is there are a couple of options here, but ProtonMail is my absolute favorite. I love ProtonMail. If you want to have a secure email system, I switched from Google years ago now to ProtonMail, and it's just been the best decision I ever made. Although you're going to have to be patient because you don't realize how tied into your email box you are, how many services will send you temporary passwords or whatever to your email box that you forgot about and haven't used for years. So you want to keep your other email at least open for a while, probably up to a year uh, as you start transferring all of your stuff, your normal things, your banks, everything else over into Proton Mail for your emails there. I'd also, uh, I don't also suggest to also have a custom domain, like a custom email address that you can move wherever you want. 
So that way you Smart. like that's once, what I do, yeah. Yeah. So once you switch over, instead of having a Proton Mail, and maybe you want to try something else later, you could just make, point your domain to a different email service, and that would make it a lot easier. So that way you don't have to worry about people not having the email address anymore. Yep, absolutely. And uh, for me, uh, my social networks turn into Telegram. So that's pretty much where I will hang out and talk to people mm-hmm. is through Telegram out there. There's also Mastodon as well, which is a fantastic social network. I think that you can uh, utilize uh, for blogging. I think Michael has some better suggestions than I did, but one I really like is NeoCities. If you go and create a NeoCities webpage, which we've talked about, especially when Chris Ware was here, uh, one of the things that you get in NeoCities is a community. You can visit other people's pages and kind of like uh, GeoCities was, you can go to NeoCities and just look through the community in different areas of topics and things like that. So I think you could create a blog there. It would be very cool. But Michael, when we were talking earlier this week, you had an even cooler suggestion, I think. Well, there's for also... The blogging specifically. Right, the blogging specifically. There's also uh, options for WordPress. WordPress is the most popular option and you can go to wordpress.com and get a free... Uh, blog there Uh, so that's an option and that's probably the most commonly chosen but you still have to do some maintenance you still have to customize some aspects of it and everything there is another service called medium and medium is essentially a social network for blogging so the whole purpose of it is that you sign up for a medium account you don't build anything you don't manage or or do anything you just write whatever blog you want to write and then you can share that with wherever you whoever you want and another thing is that they don't use passwords they actually use a thing where when you try to log in, it just gives you an email, uh, a one-time email login. And once you log in, it, it's, it keeps you with a cookie and everything. So they don't actually use passwords at all. So that's an interesting aspect to it. Uh, but the main thing is that it allows you to do uh, blog posting without really doing any code ever. Uh, you could technically if you wanted to, but they have this, like the, their WYSIWYG editor or what you see is what you get editor is really simple and easy to use. And they're very popular in the terms of social network and even like they're they're probably the most popular thing outside of wordpress and it's even heavily used by some companies uh and also some distros like for example if you go to elementary's website and you go to their blog it takes you to a medium blog and they have uh ability to have your own custom domain associated to that medium blog but at the same time you're still using the median the medium technique like technology to do everything so it's a it's an interesting approach if you wanted to do it in the easiest uh least technical aspects of it but as far as uh, social networks i think really is uh, most of the social networks you're not going to be able to get away from if you depending on what you're doing like you could avoid facebook for sure but like uh, uh, twitter is not necessarily that big of a deal to be a part of because um they're they're not bad but not as bad yet they're not doing as horrible things um but um Mastodon is a really good option. Uh, Telegram is interesting as it being a, a social network. It's not really, but it kind of has become one for me as well. Um, yeah. So that's an interesting I, point. I, how do you not define it as a social network? Because it's not really a network of sharing things. It's more of a, a, a it's more of a platform for communication. But at the yeah, same time, I, I guess I disagree. Once you start getting into the super groups where you have essentially hangout spaces where people go and post stuff. I mean, yeah, it's presented in a different way, but it's totally a social network. I'm talking about this in like the traditional aspect of just sharing content and, you know, consuming that content as far as social media goes. But in the sense of like, if you just use I mean, the we term, share pictures and we share videos and we, yeah, but that's not the yeah. purpose of it. That's just an extra feature. I mean, I'm talking about like <laughs> the, the point of Facebook, Instagram and tel- Twitter okay, is right. to share I, I, content. I agree. You've convinced well, me. No, you so just don't, you just don't mean to continue. That's fine. I, understand. <laughs> I love it. 
that, I, I think the point is Telegram can be used as a social network. It has become my social network. Yeah, yeah. And if you want to hang out with me or any of the folks here, we're all on Telegram and that's where we communicate with each other. That's where we share stuff uh, amongst this group here all the time. I think it's become that de facto uh, social network for us. And I love yeah. it. I absolutely love it. And you know what I love most about this particular type of social network in Telegram? If you post something and later, you, you know, you realize maybe I didn't want to put that out there or maybe you said something and it didn't come across the right way, you can go delete it, not just for yourself, but for everyone. Unlike Facebook, which will store it forever and ever and ever. And then, you know, you come right. from being a teenager to an adult and then you have some shame, but you can't do anything about it. And somebody ruins your career over something you wrote 10 years ago. Yeah. And <laughs> speaking of Telegram, uh, destinationlinux.org slash Telegram. Okay, so we want to hear from you, our listeners. Send in your favorite Linux software or tips and tricks, the usual stuff. Uh, we'd love to know what tools make your Linux experience amazing. Is there perhaps a specific topic that you'd like us to try and cover, like um, Bruno just did? So send your emails to comments at destinationlinux.org. Fedora 30 is released. The Red Hat-backed Fedora 30 is officially released right on time for their planned release schedule. Now, this upgrade includes both Workstation and Server 30. There's a lot of really cool changes. Some of them include the Linux kernel 5.0, Mesa 19, GNOME 3.32, and a bundle of other package upgrades for Bash, Boost, Glibc, Ruby, and PHP. Deepin, Pantheon, LXQT are all desktop options. Flickr Free Boot. Uh, switching of crypt setup default metadata format to Lux2 and uh, enable dbusbroker.service to use the dbus broker as a system and session manager bus for the backend. Pharonix has released some book or some benchmarks rather for comparing the speed of 29 and 30. Version 30 is definitely showing signs of impressive optimizations. Nothing earth shattering, but definitely faster. It's also important to note that Fedora has a well-documented accessibility section of their documentation. It clearly states that GNOME supplies its own screen reader, Orca. This package is installed by default on all Fedora systems. They also have SpeakUp, Emacs Speak, Screen Magnifier, the works. One of the best accessibility documentations that we've ever seen. Now, let me ask you this. As we open the discussion for Fedora 30, does anybody think or does anybody believe that the work that Canonical has done for the GNOME desktop plays into the increased performance and speed and benefit of Fedora. Yes. So that was the first, because when, I, when reports of Fedora 30 first started coming out and I started playing with it and I started reading about what other people were saying about it, the first thing that entered my mind was, I feel like we are reaching a point where we are starting to see the benefit of having all of these organizations and all of these large companies work on the same desktop environment. Because now, no matter which distribution is using GNOME, they're all benefiting from the improvements that everybody has been making. And I mean, that goes both ways, right? Canonical has benefited from the, all the groundwork that Red Hat has set. They're just putting the you know, finishing, finishing touches and, and polish on it. But at the same time, it goes the other way now too, right? Canonical is saying, hey, we'll fix all these little tweak things or whatever. And look, GNOME's a lot faster in the, uh, the latest release of Ubuntu. Oh, look, Fedora 30 comes out and what do you know? The desktop environment is faster. Isn't that amazing? So I, I agree to a point, but, and, and obviously we're, you know, there's some benefit there, but I had some interesting experiences with Fedora Gnome and running it this week. But I, before I get into mine, I really want to know, because Zeb also played with Fedora 30, what your experience was like this week, Zeb. 
Um, well, I've I've always liked Fedora ever since um, Pseudo Reboot showed me it back at Fedora 26. So I've then installed 26, 27, 28, 29, and now 30. Um, I've got used to how it works. I've got used to the things that you have to do. I now know that you have to enable certain repos to get certain things working. Um, now, I think the only minor problem I had, um, and I'm just remembering this now as we were having a discussion before, right, when I said everything went tickety-boo and all nice and smooth, Fedora was so new that I had to find another method to install um, the NVIDIA drivers because the old ones that everybody talks about, um, and there's two two repos that you have to add and then you can just install them, for whatever reason didn't work. So I had to go back to that horrible way of doing it whereby you have to block Nouveau drivers, then download the file from NVIDIA, restart the machine, go to just a terminal prompt and do the, the run as root. But that all went swimmingly well. I found a website that had really simple, about five steps, followed it, rebooted, NVIDIA was working fine. Um, so for me, yeah, apart from that one hiccup of having to research how to do NVIDIA again, but I'm pretty sure that those other RPM Fusion and there's another site who I can't remember of at the moment, but right. I'm sure they'll update their methods very, very soon as to how to install the NVIDIA. But no, for everything for me, went swimmingly well. So I had an, an interesting experience. I love Fedora. Uh, for a long time, I was running it on this show before I went to Arch. And I, I think I was on Fedora 28 and 29 at the time. But I had not played with Fedora in a little while. So I had forgot some of the issues that you can run into. So when I first go through the installation, first of all, I want to give them a huge thank you for the incredible documentation they have on accessibility because that is one of the things that we've been asked um, you know, from our listeners to start talking about. And their documentation was so clear. You knew exactly how to get to the accessibility options, what accessibility options are there. They had an accessibility section in their manual. Just brilliant, brilliantly done there on that spot. Uh, as far as the installation, it was marvelous. It was intuitive. I thought the installation um, process was very, very well done. But then my machine was extremely sluggish, almost asleep at the wheel. Uh, this is a Ryzen 5 with Vega graphics. It's screaming. It had Arch on it. I wiped Arch just to put this on entirely. So there was no dual boot situation with distros. And I just could not believe how many issues I was having until I remembered they default to Wayland. And so once I got rid of Wayland and moved it to Xorg, then things started to improve marginally. Um, but I still had all kinds of errors, um, compatibility issues and things, depending on what I was installing. It just kind of was a pain. About two days later, I went and I thought, you know, maybe it was the GNOME thing. So I reinstalled Fedora 30 as XFCE, had a fantastic experience. None of the issues, because obviously it goes Xorg as default, that I was having before with getting packages or installing them or missing text or anything along those lines. It ran smoothly, but there was also a bunch of patches that had happened in between then. So I don't know if from the start and the finish, they had just fixed it. And if I had done GNOME two days later, I would have been fine with the issues as well. Mm -hmm. So what I will give Fedora is a little bit of a buggy start in my case with my hardware. Everyone, not That won't be for everybody, but it looks like they have quickly, as usual, fixed it 
and it, it looks like a gorgeous OS. Let me uh, let me jump in there for a second. So I have used Fedora not from 25 or 24. I've used Fedora from Fedora Core 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10, 11, 12, 13, 14, 15, 16, all the way up to 30, right? And um, what I have noticed in every one of those releases is if you want to install on day one, there's always some little problem or little bug or little right. thing that you've got to tweak. And the answer to get around that, and it's funny because I've said this till I'm blue in the face and I tell people this all the time and I get one of two reactions. Either they go, oh. or the other thing they do is they go, well, I just, why would you use Fedora then? Uh, but give it a week and then install it and you'll never have any problems. And like I said, I've done so now 30 times I've installed Fedora and 30 times I've never had an issue. Well, 28 times I've never had an issue. And the way to get around having any issues in Fedora is wait a week or two weeks. Yes. Well, by the way, I think that's great advice for every district because even in the 19.04 release, there were people with bugs on day one that they were having problems with that they had to fix. Not everybody experienced them, depending on your hardware. Some people experienced them. I think it's the same case here. There are people, I was looking through the forums on Reddit and everything else, reading people's experience on Fedora. There were some people having bugs like me. There were some people saying, this is the greatest install ever. I've had no, I have no issues. So it does heavily depend on your hardware. Uh, whether you'll run into some of this, but I think your advice of waiting a week, if you can be patient, is perfect because they're already had at least two patching sessions since the two days from when I installed it. They're fixing that stuff very quickly as they come across it. There's no way to to get it perfect in the onset. So I think if you wait a week, it's going to be a brilliantly beautiful operating system as Fedora always is. Just one quick caveat to that. If you are adventurous, please keep installing it from day one. Otherwise, we'll be waiting a week and no one's using it. There'll oh, be yeah, no bugs. Right, go in there and so, bomb bugs. Not, not everybody. Let's have 10% yeah. adventurous people out there still trying to use it, please. Yeah, I love their bug program. It goes through Bugzilla, but it allows you to immediately file bugs instantly from there while grabbing the logs and you just go through and click next and add some description in there. Uh, I thought that was really well done. So it's very easy to file bugs and I have some out there filed. So there you go. So up next in the show, we have KOS, or, uh, yeah, KOS, the Arch-based distribution. Uh, I always want to say chaos every time I read it, but it's KOS. And uh, they have a new version of 2019.02. This is a uh, Arch-based, but it's also heavily modified in how they do it because it's not really exactly an Arch. It's based on Arch, but it's not like, it's not a derivative in the sense like it's a heavily modified version and they are... Um, they they have a like a different approach where they have mostly just queued uh, applications and they kind of avoid GTK uh, applications. But they have they've decided to replace Caligra with LibreOffice and they've also upgraded to Plasma five point fifteen, which is the latest version of Plasma. And they've also have like this is what's really interesting. I like the way they do. Uh, you know, all, a lot of distros are doing like, these new welcome screens and welcome applications and stuff. And uh, KOS decided to create their own and they call it Croeso. And it is a very interesting thing because they, they cover a lot of stuff that is not included in most welcome apps. Like they cover changing your uh, wallpaper, change, uh, modifying the way your mo your monitors are set up and all, all kinds of different features that are really cool. Mm -hmm. yeah. So I think that like it's a really interesting approach because they used to use something else called uh, Captain and they and they decided to create their own because they would give them give them more control. So I think it's really cool that they, if you haven't tried KOS at you know, at least in the sense of just trying out the Croeso thing, it's a really interesting and slick thing. So especially if you build your own distro or whatever, uh, check out Croeso because I like the way that they uh, they approach that aspect of it. So one one question I've got about um, 
chaos because I'm like you, I always call it chaos. Um, have they changed their default screen layout? Because the one thing that put me off when I when I looked at it recently was the the bar for doing everything is on the right hand side of the of your, your your monitor, and your file manager is. I'm sorry, it's back to front. You have your files here and your directory structure here on the right. Now, I'm sorry, but I'm not Chinese. I don't read right to left. I read left to right. And as much as I played around with it, I could not work out how to get it back to normal. So have they changed that? Um, I don't think so. I haven't tried this latest version, but the one I did before, it did not. It was still on the right side. Um, then for me, it's a very easy. Next. Well, but to be fair, <laughs> I agree that it's weird that they have it on a vertical right side where everything is there. Like, I understand it like having a launcher on the side because I think having the way that uh, Unity is and the way that the Ubuntu's GNOME is laid out where they have the launcher on the side is a really good idea. But I don't think that they should have everything on that side panel. Uh, okay, I got, I got to ask Noah here. Noah brought up a very, you know, I think important question last week when we were covering some of these distros saying why why do some of these exist when i look at this distro and i was looking through some of the options i had to ask even though it's not the nice thing to do like what 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 how is this different what are they doing differently than an antergos a manjaro or anything along those lines and then let me just say this and and i'd like to get noah's take there's no accessibility documentation at all. And this to me is, again, basic documentation. You should have documentation, first of all, if you're going to have a distro, this should be thorough. Yeah. And one of the basic requirements you should have in there is things like how to install it and accessibility and things like that. Accessibility being the key thing there. Otherwise, it's just a rookie distro. And you should also have something that changes dramatically from another distro in my opinion and i don't see that here Noah, what are your thoughts i agree 100 percent. you know i and it's to be honest it's one of those things that i just kind of take my grandmother's advice if you don't have something nice to say then don't say anything at all which is why i was just kind of sitting there quietly but yeah what does what does kos offer that uh that Arch or, or Integros or Targos or uh, Manjaro or all of the other Arch derivatives don't offer. And then the other thing is too, is and the more important question and the kind of mean thing to ask, what things are we taking away from those distros because we've got resources devoted into to this distro? And listen, here's the thing. I'm far less offended when it comes to these, uh, when it comes to the smaller, more esoteric distros. It doesn't necessarily bother me as much because the reality is, the great thing about Linux is the fact that if you don't like something, you can change it. And that, like, like we talked about last week, that, you know, leaves the possibility that's that a bunch of people will crowd around something that nobody thought was going to be popular. I mean, right. Very famously, I have an operating system that nobody's going to use. It's never going to be anything big like Unix, but Hey, if you want to play with it, here you go. Right. Look where we are today. Uh, so th there's a lot to that, but at the same time, so I guess what I'm trying to say is as long as these distros don't get to a point where they're saying, oh, we want to take on Ubuntu and you shouldn't use Ubuntu, you should use KOS. No, they're just saying, hey, here's a distro and we made it and we did things a little bit differently, but have at it, Haas. Uh, I, it was, it's funny that this comes up because like, literally while I was at Linux Fest Northwest, after we talked about this, I was talking to another gentleman who was doing a review for his podcast and he was going to, he was going to do a distro. And, uh, and they were going to have the developer on. They were going to talk about it. And in discussion with the little roundtable with some of us around, 
a couple of us said, hey, you know, that particular distro that you're thinking about featuring, it's maintained by one guy. And uh, he's not even really super involved. He just kind of threw an ISO up on the internet and, and kind of called it good. And he went, really? And then we kind of looked into it a little bit and went, oh, okay, well, that's probably not something we'd want to highlight or promote. And so that was kind of the end of it. And, but it just, it was funny because it was like a, it was a real world example of what we had just talked about last week. And I feel like this is, this kind of speaks to the same, uh, same ground. Well, this kind of does, but it's in the sense like this is not, this is a very unique approach to it because to be fair to the people who make chaos, they're not just another derivative of Arch trying to make it sure. easy to use Arch because they started with the Arch structure and have completely diverged from Arch. They don't actually pull packages from Arch or anything. They are just like, they have a similar thing. They use Pac-Man and things like that. Mm -hmm. There are similarities to Arch, but they are an independent distro now. Let me ask you this. Who is the target audience for this distro? Who is the audience that this is the distro for them and and the other distros wouldn't work? I guess that's the way I would phrase that question. I don't think there is. Okay. So that question is the target. I can answer that. The That wouldn't work for the other distros that wouldn't work. I don't think that's the thing. I think pretty much any distro could work pretty well. Hoover because of like okay, the DEs okay. or whatever. I'll, I'll, I'll raise the bar. What What's the audience for this distro that another distro wouldn't serve that bar equally well or better? Kind of the same I'll thing, but better. it's mainly like the, the target is people who are KDE enthusiasts who, who want to have an experience where they're just focused on KDE or Qt applications and don't want to have any kind of GTK stuff like interfering kind of thing. Mm. So like they have a heavy focus on Qt and they basically ignore GTK as much as possible. So like and they also make it quite difficult to get GTK applications in, don't they? You have well, because they don't. You have to compile it yourself because they don't do it. Yeah. So like yeah. it's kind of like it's it's a it's a, a laser focused. Uh, cute based distribution. So if someone wants to try to experience having a system that's 100% cute, chaos or KOS would be the best. So let me option, just ask the question. Option, is, anyway. Let me just ask the question: Is there any reason under the sun that anybody other than a developer who is trying to notice where the down or where the pitholes are of of QT would? Why would anybody else use the distro? Right? Like I mean, at the end of the day, normal users. I don't know if there is there are there are there is there really a, a, a band of users out there that's like listen we just want to use we want daily computing things but only if it's QT if it's written if it's written GTK mm -mm, out there are some people uh, who prefer Qt as well yes but I'm saying that I that's, prefer Qt as well I think it's a, I think it's a more robust right it's, it's toolkit but at the end of the day if the application I need is written in JT, GTK I'm going to use it it doesn't stop me right but you just asked for a target and you also gave the target of being of developers who wanted to so, have mean, an experience wanna, and see if they could how they could go it. so there you go no that's fine yeah no I'm fine with that I don't want to be I'm not saying but, it's a super uh, mainstream <laughs> approach you know I, I, and so, so to your point Ryan I don't think either of us are beating up on it I no think, no no I just that I was, well, was going to tie in and say you know I don't we're not trying to beat up on it it just happens to be that this was the next distro after Noah had talked about this last week that had come up that we're sitting here going what is the mm -hmm. what what's the whole core point of this the target audience yeah. that's going to really change something in Linux so what they're doing here that uh, first of all I I remember utilizing this um it's Croeso, which is Welsh for welcome. Is that how you say it, Croeso. Michael Croeso? Yeah, it's a very well done uh, welcome uh, unit. The second you boot up the distro, it has over 15 settings and things. It's kind of like Mate's welcome, right? It's just very robust, lots of things. So there are things in there that other distros could utilize mm -hmm. that are incredible. 
And maybe it's a situation where they go to the other distros and say, hey, I could write this really cool welcome screen that would help with all these settings. And they go, no, we're not interested. So they're like, fine, I'm going to go create my own distro. And this is one of the things that I want to have. It's going to be cute only. We're going to have this awesome welcome screen, that type of thing. I kind of get that to a degree. But I also look at this and go, man, somebody else could grab that from one of the other distros. And if that's the big differentiating feature and have this awesome welcome screen, and then we don't have all the separation in the, you know, um, landscape with all of these minor distros out there. Cause my fear is people come into Linux, they go to distro watch, look at what's trending at the time, download it, have a bad experience and go, I hate Linux, not realizing what they're utilizing. I mean, that's, that's an, that's a, a different topic altogether. That's really unfortunate that, 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 that the trending, that the fact that the trending uh, list doesn't say trending and it says ranking, like, mm-hmm. that's the problem. Shame, shameless self-plug. Wouldn't it be great if there was something else that was in the works that could solve that problem? Hmm. Maybe. What Maybe. would it be? I don't know if I can talk about it yet on the air. But, oh, it, but, okay, but a solution. But I'm a solution, just going to edit that part. A solution is, yeah. Solution is coming down the pipe. So don't uh, don't fear. We are we are this close. That close. In fact, we were about to roll it out over Linux Fest Northwest. And then we got too busy with other stuff at Linux Fest Northwest, so we didn't roll it out. But nice, uh, I would I would guess within the next couple of weeks. Okay. Okay, so some software news. Uh, there's a new stable Clonezilla Live. Uh, yes! 6.1 <laughs> <laughs> minus 25. Well, I'm glad you got all excited about that because I was reading through this thinking, yeah, there's some really, really good stuff here. I've never used it. You're but kidding. Apparently, no, it's apparently a very, very popular... Um, disc cloning tool, and they have a new release out. Um, <laughs> what am I listening to? <laughs> oh, I'll explain why in a minute. <laughs> yeah. So in this new version, the kernel has been updated to 4.19.28, and the underlying Linux system has up, been upgraded based on Debian SID repositories. Um, Part clone and Ezio static were updated to newer versions, and two new packages, VBE tool, which runs real mode video BIOS code to alter hardware state and MBMON, which monitors hardware state and temperatures. In addition, a new mode for Clonezilla Lite server was yeah. added. Oh, I just really <laughs> like the Lite server. <laughs> In addition, a new mode for Clonezilla Lite server was added. Massive deployment from raw device using BitTorrent mechanism, which is quite interesting. So it's always great to see this invaluable tool like Clonezilla getting some updates. Um, but the reason why I've, I've never used it is because I can restore my OS in 25 minutes from a fresh install. My data is kept in three separate other locations and I regularly back it up. So for me personally, I can honestly say I have never used Clonezilla, but I can imagine in a corporate environment, it would be a massive relief, and um, I'm going to go over to Noah on this one. I uh, I tell you what. So, go, how about if we went from 25 minutes to like five? I keep a partition on my laptop with a, a Clonezilla image of a fresh install of my laptop. So I've kind of created my own version of the System76 restore functionality. Right? I mm-hmm. take a. In fact, actually, are they? Yeah, they are here. They're in my pocket. Actually, when the new version came out, I actually burned uh, three flash drives that I'm leaving here at the, at the studio. So I've got a, a, a couple copies of Clonezilla. And uh, so what I do is anytime I want to restore my laptop or any computer, because I do this on all of them, I plug the Clonezilla drive in, I boot, I go to the little tiny partition that has an image of my laptop, 
select it, restore it to the main partition, and 10 minutes later, my laptop is restored. That's oh, awesome. wow. Okay. Yeah. Clonezilla is also amazing for being able to, if, if you're moving computers over, right, and you want to clone one drive to another drive without having to redo everything, or in a tech environment, uh, you could utilize, let's say, if you're selling computers like me and my dad, you would use something like Clonezilla. You would have an image that you have set up with everything you want to give every new customer. And then when you get a new computer in, you build it, you put it in the hard drive, you Clonezilla your image over to it. Boom, that computer's ready to go right out the door with that image, all the software, everything set up on it ready. Um, so there's a lot of uses for Clonezilla out there. It's really an amazingly adaptable tool. It has become more user-friendly than it was in the past. Very. Um, but it's still not something where you're going to go in and have just nice clicky gooey's like maybe I NAS couldn't disagree you? with you more. Uh, if you compare it to a Synology NAS where you've got nice graphical gooey's, a lot of more descriptions for each selection, I think it's easier. Uh, but I think you have to be a geek like you and me, Noah, to look at Clonezilla and go that menu's but, super simple. But, but in curses. Yes! <laughs> Stop it, you! The uh, here's the thing. I, I my my uh, my seventy year old dad who doesn't do any sort of technical stuff can plug the USB drive in, boot off of it. Does it look pretty? No, but it is one hundred percent and completely idiot proof. Like there, like I think the very first question it asks you is, "Hey, do you want me to step you through everything, or are you an expert and you just want to tell us what you want to do?" And if you yes. click beginner, it literally says. Do you want to make a, do you want to back up your image or do you want to restore? You say, I want to back it up. It says, okay, well, do you want to make an exact copy of your hard drive or do you want to just back up the individual little slices of the, of the hard drive? Which one do you want to do? And you click on that and then it says, okay, where would you like to store it? Would you like to store it on a physical drive plugged in or you want to do it to a network share? I mean, it, like every single thing is a question and you, you answer the question and it has little descriptions of each one of the answers. I think it's actually a fantastic interface. Yeah, I didn't say it was bad. I just think Zeb... Well, Zeb, it would be interesting. Come back next week. Please. Go, go run through Clonezilla and yes. tell us what you think is a is our regular user to go in. You've not used Clonezilla before. Did everything make sense? Were you able to successfully make a backup? I'm mm -hmm. guessing you're going to have to go read some stuff online, and then you'll go, oh, okay, that makes All right. perfect sense. I'll take I that bet. What are we betting? Can we bet, like, dinner or something itself? I like it. Dinner itself. All right. Dinner itself. Uh, my bet is that Zeb gets through it with no Googling whatsoever, no reading whatsoever. He just was able to plug the drive in and follow the instructions as long as he read what was on the screen in front of him. No problems whatsoever. Your bet is he's got to go maybe do some research a little bit. Zeb, Noah makes a lot of money. We could make a really good dinner out of this. Yeah. So <laughs> make sure at the behest of destroying the Linux community. <laughs> Give me your biddings in um, Telegram, which way you want me to go. <laughs> right. It. All right. So next up in the news is Purism has launched the Librem privacy suite called Librem One. This is a bundle of tools they're calling bundle of ethical services out there. The Librem One is a cross-platform suite with tools right now that you can get, such as chat, mail, tunnel, and social. Tunnel being a VPN, social being a social media site and mail having end-to-end -end encryption in there. This is a service they are selling. Uh, there are There is a free option in there, but if you want all of these ones that I just mentioned, it's $7.99 a month or $71 a year. They also are going to be adding additional services in there, such as files, backup, contacts, ability to cryptographic payment, dial to pay-as-you-go service, 
all of these things in my mind, when I saw this, I thought about convergence, right? The fact that they're going to have a laptop and phone. They now have these apps. They're available, by the way, in the app stores for your phone, which is kind of cool too already for the ones that they've released. But there is some interesting controversy here a little bit. I wouldn't call it controversy because they've really clarified this over the last couple of days. But I didn't see it on the initial launch page. But a lot of these services are simply rebranded open source tools. So they didn't go develop their own platforms. They kind of utilized already open source tools out there like Riot or Tusky, K9 Mail, um, other VPN services, and then just kind of rebranded them with their name. But they're running on their backend servers as well. So they're rebranded them, but they're also running it on their own servers. And then they're charging folks for them. Purism has addressed the complaints saying that, hey, we think we're creating a central platform. We pay for these servers and we're bringing awareness to this and people want the convenience of being able to go to one place and have all these options. I thought it was interesting. You know I love this type of privacy stuff. It's right up my alley. But when I looked at some of the limitations, like you only getting two gigabytes for your email storage, I thought there's just no way I, I would go through two gigabytes in a month. And then Ooh. it's resolution for when you go over is it's just going to start deleting the oldest message as you go over until you get to your two back to your two gigabyte limit. So I would probably be waiting for something a little more robust in the storage side before I would run to a service like this. But very curious what you think everyone here thinks about this. Do they not offer a, a bigger storage for a bigger price? They say they will in the future. As far as I know, last I looked to two gigabyte was the limit right now. Right. I just have trust issues with Librem, I guess. I mean, I, I appreciate what they're trying to do. I appreciate what they're trying to get to. I just, it seems to me that there are a, a lot of promises that, that just don't ever come to fruition. And I'll, get, I'll, I'll, I'll go on the record. I'm willing to back up what I'm saying, right? They will not ship a device this year. They, they, a device will not wind up in backers' hands for the, for the mobile device. It won't happen. Um, and I think if you look at what the rest of the industry has done and is doing, that should be pretty obvious to anybody, right? Look at the size of Canonical. Look at the amount of money that they put into it. Look at the amount of backing that they had. Look at the amount of clout that they had. Look at the amount of initiative that they had. Look at the lack of integration and, and, and settledness that existed with iOS and Android at that point as compared to now. Look at how many different types of manufacturers were also trying to compete like Samsung and all those other companies that are trying to compete in that space. And then look at what purism is up against. It's just not going to happen. And when I was when I was when I go to presentations and when I listen to uh, what they're talking about, it's very difficult for me to wrap my head around that as somebody who exists in the industry and can see what's going on. So when I see this privacy suite, I th is it a great idea? Absolutely. Are there probably companies that are better suited or maybe more fitting to uh, to get into that space? I think probably. Right. Like, you know, look at this. I mean, essentially, they're trying to spin up a VPN, a social network, a mail service, a chat service, a, a Dropbox alternative. A, a, I mean, essentially, it's like Google, Dropbox, and Facebook all combined. They want to do it all at once. Like mm -hmm. ProtonMail, with all of their users and all of the, and the established clout that they have, they're kind of slowly moving into some of that space, right? And they have the email suite and they have the VPN suite and their, you know, Proton Drive is a thing and, and, and so on and so forth. And they haven't even done all of this stuff. And so at the same time that they're going to continue to iterate on their privacy focused laptop, they're going to try to ship a device. Now they're going to 
take on another three software as a service companies all at the same time? Yeah, but I there's, mean, there's, I don't, a, there's a different thing to think mean, about. Like, okay, your point about the um, the the aspect of the phone is fair, but the the phone at the time that Ubuntu was doing it, there was no manufacturing facilities that were helping companies build these phones. They had to. That's do not it. true. That's not true. They shipped a phone. They put phones in people's hands. They weren't U.S. made phones. No, no, no. We're, were we're talking about the like the Ubuntu Edge phone. I'm talking about the Ubuntu Edge phone. They tried to build it themselves oh, and everything. Right, yeah. So like sure. they 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 had to wait a couple years before they could get those companies to. And they didn't man- manufacture a phone for them. They just had to get no. existing the, Android phones and then repurpose correct. those phones. The Librem phone had the 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 process that they wanted to do was create a phone specifically for the system and then ship that phone. They couldn't do that, and they never had the ability to do that. Now that Librem can do or Prism can do it because the ODMs are available and they're providing these this hardware and they're providing so, this structure. So what you're saying is you think that you think that Purism is going to see, succeed in a space of creating a software no, 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 no. That, that ships where where no. Canonical couldn't. No. Because that's the thing that doesn't click for Your me. Your point was to say that, that you don't think they're going to ship this phone. They're not. I think they're going to ship the phone. They I don't, don't think they're going to have any any possibility of of dethroning iOS or Android. But I, I don't. I don't even. Think, I don't. That, that's not a fair argument because I don't even think that's their goal. I'm telling you that those back the the people that are backing that phone are not going to receive a phone this year. Yeah. Guarantee oh, it. Maybe not this year. I just think they'll they'll get it in when, a year. I, so I think that year, I think it, their promise, by the way, that their promise is that they're going to have they're, they're going to ship phones within a year. It's not going to happen. Well, mm-hmm. the promise is now quarter three of 2019 as far as um, what i'm looking right. at right any, now. anytime in 2019 it's not going to happen at all uh, we're going to be into we're going to be into we're going to be in q1 of 2020 and they're still not going to have phones into their backers i think that's definitely a possibility i'm not disagreeing with the fact that they might mm-hmm. be like delayed a lot because they've already been delayed multiple times um, mm-hmm. i'm just saying that i think that it will happen i'm just also pointing out that the reason why i think this one this particular set of suite might work is because they're not building the stuff that because the chat is matrix, it's already an existing protocol. Because the email That's is fair. is using yeah. a, is using a, like you know pre made things. The t- the, the, v, the they're using K nine for the apps, and they're using the back end that's already existed for years. Their their VPN is actually private internet access. Uh, they they're using Open VPN to create to make that work. So like all in social, the social yeah, part is Mastodon that, and all this other that, stuff. That's okay. So that's fair. But then so then the discussion becomes. What ha- what is Librem provide? So in other words, what you're saying is they they made a really nice list of, re- of recommended services. Kind of, but they're also providing the services on their own servers. Like they're like the to, email to put end to end encryption onto all of it. Right. Basically, sure. put additional security layers on top of some of these services that maybe right now, if you just go and download it and use it because it's not on their servers and don't know how to set up the encryption pieces, they're doing that for you when you sure. use it on their services. There's some service here. Uh, I, I just feel like they miss their customers. Kind of to Noah's point, by the time this phone releases, even in third quarter, when you look at the specs, it's already more than a year behind in technology, right? That's so true. once somebody gets their hand on a $700 phone, they're still dealing with old architecture. Um, when I look at this list of tools for $799 a month, I get four tool. I get a list of like 12 tools, but I only have four I can use right now. And then I got to be told, well, more are coming soon. And you think if you're releasing a phone in quarter three, you'd already have your software ready, ramped up, ready to go. Everything's in place. That's not the case. They have four services in place and they're still just building on top of other open source technologies and still don't have the other ones. And then 
Two gigabytes? Who uses two gigabytes? What are well, we? To be fair, ProtonMail is only five gigabytes. It's not like it's. Yeah, for the, the free account. No, 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 no. Freeze five hundred megabytes. It's five gigs for the no. Proton. Yes. No. Yes. Uh, well, Literally five gigs for no the plus. Way. If you if you get the Visionary account, it's it's two it's twenty gigs, but it's it's that's the the highest one. It's five gigs for the plus version. Free accounts five hundred megs. All right, so I, still double. It's still yeah. it's still a lot more. I'm just saying, like, it's not email. It takes very little space. It's not a huge problem to only have two gigs. It, I would prefer to have more. To three or five, three to five would be much better. But I don't think it's like, oh my goodness, it's this is so small. But uh, that's all I'm saying there. But I do agree uh, that what, the service. I'm mean, and Noah are both on Visionary. That's why I never saw the five gigabyte. Yeah, of, well, of and I, I, so here, here's the other thing too. It doesn't actually because we've got Proton Mail for uh, for our business too. But I actually I don't actually see anywhere in here where it tells me how big is the how big is the drive for the professional interface. is five gigabyte, but you can have five users on that. Uh, unlimited messages per day. Unlimited folders. Two custom domains with that. The Visionary is twenty gigabytes. Okay. Right. Yep. So like okay. I, I do think that ProtonMail is a great service, and I do think that the, that the that two gigs is smaller than it should be, but I don't think it is as huge of a difference. But at the same time, I do think that these services have a potential to be like something that a company would want or people who are privacy minded and like privacy minded people are going to go out and get these apps because they know they exist and use right. them. But I'm no, saying no, prior no. to these things. There's people who who are privacy minded because they learn about Facebook being terrible because they learn Windows telemetry things happen. People be, are there are new people who are in the privacy is like in like I don't know spectrum whatever, but they're trying to provide a place that people who are brand new users who are, are beginner users who wouldn't know how to set up any of these things to have a single place to go and get it. So that's We're kind of a, something I would think that it's it's I think that they you're right that they should have all these things ready if they're going to promote this thing, but there's there is a place for it. I don't think that place oh, is eight dollars a month. I completely respectfully disagree. The, the purism to steal a line from Ryan does not understand. I feel like they continually not understand their customer. And it started back with their laptop, right? The people that the Richard Stallmanites of the world that really care about privacy and want everything to be privacy and secure, they could care less about a fancy you know, pretty laptop. They just want a a 15-year-old ThinkPad works just fine. When you look at what Julian Assange was using when he got arrested, like, it's not like nobody was willing to donate computers and money to him. He was just perfectly happy at the 25-year-old ThinkPad with the parallel port on the back of it, right? <laughs> Those people don't care. And the people that do care about having a pretty sexy laptop, that would be me. I would just want to go in and I want to buy a laptop that 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 looks like it belongs in the enterprise and is built as well as a MacBook, that kind of stuff. But I want it to run Linux. I don't have that same level of care of privacy to the point that I want little switches sticking out of the computer, right? So th there's like, there's a disconnect there. And when it comes to privacy stuff, what Ryan said, you know, all, all of these services, privacy enthusiasts are already aware of. And if you want to create something new and different, then create something new and different. I would compare, since we're already kind of talking about it, ProtonMail, right? You can sign up for ProtonMail. You get the Proton VPN. Then you can sign up for things like Proton Drive, and they're actually building a suite of applications. And here's the biggest thing. Look at where purism is based. They're based in the United States. So anybody that really cares about privacy is going to want to thwart the government's ability to send subpoenas and requests and all that stuff, all of which Libram is going to, or purism is going to have to comply with, and companies like ProtonMail won't because of where they're based. So I, again, I, I just, I think it's another example of just, it's not a bad idea. It's a great idea. I'm glad that we have some competition in the space. I just think there's going to be better people offering the same service for 
in equivalent or less rate and where you're going to get a higher rate of return and that has more clout and, and essentially trust inside of the privacy community. Yeah, I, I like the idea. I become immediately bored when I see you give us money and you'll get other stuff later in the future. I, I'm just bored with the idea of companies promising what they're going to give me in the future. If you're going to launch a product like this, finish it, then launch it, then we'll talk. So there was an interesting thing that happened over the weekend that Mozilla's uh, Firefox had some a bit of an issue, and that is the add-ons were, basically all add-ons were disabled for a lot of people. Look at all these words he's using, folks. It's so, a bit of an issue, just a smite little problem in the week. Go, go ahead, I Michael. I don't understand. What, okay, anyway, it's no big deal. This isn't a bug. It's a feature. Firefox doesn't want you to have too many extensions, so they disabled all of them to make sure that you could reevaluate which ones you have at a later time. <laughs> that That's brilliant. awesome. I am really thankful for that. Thank That's you, a great Firefox. feature. Thank right? you, Firefox. <laughs> So, what are uh, you basically trying to say is one of the back end boys messed up and didn't renew the certificate? Something happened with the certificates. Like they weren't renewed and they didn't get they didn't issue Not a new certificates. one. Certificates. Certificate. Yes. Yeah. Oh, certificate. Yeah. Okay. We only have one because that's right. brilliant. Yeah. So by the way, I I, I was just reading off like uh, as a joke. Ryan was like, "Here's a thing that Michael was. He's probably going to say this and." So I said it, but it. Um, and it, and it did sound right as well. Yeah, it did sound like what I would say too. But um, the, and I do think that it's it's this is not a good thing for 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 some reason I wasn't affected by this until like late yesterday when they already had the patch out. So I just installed the patch and it was fine. But it's it's a very weird situation that essentially because they didn't renew a certificate, which is like the a, a very simple basic thing, or issue a new one. All of the extensions for almost all users uh, were disabled, and you mm. couldn't install anything new from the app, the market marketplace for the add-ons. So um, I don't really have a way to defend this. So, and there you go. Continue. You my have biggest, the floor. My biggest concern here is they didn't come forward and admit their error. They just said all over Twitter and stuff, "Oh, sorry, we understand you're having a few problems with your add-ons. We'll get it sorted soon." No, they did too. They made a blog post well, about it and everything. Well, I, I mean, eventually they did. It, only after people found out what it was and embarrassed them into admitting it. Oh, I didn't see so, that, so I don't know. A $562 million organization forgets to renew a certificate for all of its extensions. Can anybody just, can we, can we just take a moment to think about that for a second? So since May 3rd, they started rolling out some temporary fixes. They are working on resolving it. It's a single certificate issue that, Mozilla decided they're going to own the certificate that all extensions must go through. And then they decided, oh, my gosh, we forgot to so, renew it. I mean, so because I've been beating up on every other open source project and I'm a big fan of Mozilla, I mean, I guess I'll take the other side of this. You know, it's not like they forgot to renew the SSL for Mozilla.org, right? I mean, it's a certificate for an add-on thing. I'm sure it was on some guy's list, and I'm sure that position probably got cycled through like seven times, and then the guy that gets new to the job or whatever is there, and it's probably buried in some list of things that he has to do once every five years, and it, you know, it, I mean, they made a mistake. It's a, it's a, it's, it is not, not a huge... It's not just a mistake. tabs that you sent up have now been trashed because it got disabled. Everything you set up has been whacked off. No, no, start no. Again. no, 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 that's not true. They, they come yeah. back. That's not, yeah, you, that's not true. That's night. not that true. That happened to people where their container tabs were wiped. They had to start I've heard again. the same container thing. Tabs, I would, I, container tabs, maybe, but not all of the add-ons will be wiped. My right? container like, tabs are perfectly no, fine. No, every add-on is wiped. No. Really? Yes, every add-on was broken. 
they were they were disabled. Yeah. Disabled. Yes. They and were once still you once you got them back to be enabled, everything's back. Okay. Right. Not not everybody has had that experience. Well, I mean that that's also, but you're saying that this is a thing that's happened to like as as, as a, a cause of this problem that uh, people are affected by it. A small percentage of people might have been affected by it, and I think that those people were very loud about it. Greater than a small. Uh, no, they're going to be loud because they're the, that, that's a big problem to have, and I understand yeah, they're going to be think, yelling about it. But there's a lot of people who did not have that problem. I didn't have that yeah. problem. If you didn't use Firefox during that awful 24-hour period, I did. Then you haven't had a problem. But if you fired up Firefox and your add-ons were gone, then a lot of people that I know of were saying every, all the setup that I did has gone as well. Right, and I used it the entire time. The problem hit, hit, hit me. I got my stuff disabled. I re-enabled everything, and they're all fine. They're all my containers are fine. No problem. I, I think this isn't a B. I don't want you know because we we have had a negative episode today. We are just negative <laughs> Nellies today, aren't we? I'm uh, very proud of Firefox for the work I, they're doing. Yeah, I uh, think we, Firefox we, like we the like, Firefox made a mistake, but they also do amazing stuff during like in they this, do, despite but come this on, stuff. This extension, this type of stuff. Really it forced us to reevaluate our extensions. I don't think we can complain about that. See, exactly. <laughs> Noah gets it. I mean, I, I just, I sit here sometimes scratching my head going, you know, like the, this isn't the first stupid extension mistake. Anyone want to talk about Mr. Robot? Um, but <laughs> anyway, really. <laughs> I, I just think that they've got, they've got to take, you know, we're, we are looking towards them. We are all looking towards Firefox as the only alternative left to Chrome, right? And we are looking at them as our privacy and security um, browser of choice. And yeah, we're also I, looking at ten percent of the the web. <laughs> yeah, the web have a, they have a very small percentage of ownership, and it's going to get even smaller. And we're going to talk about that why later in the news. But it's going to get even smaller their share of the segment. And now they're giving a bunch of people because what I read everywhere is people freaking out, going, I, "I'm I'm switching to Chrome, switching to Chrome, switching to Chrome." So now you've got a bunch more of people who are going to leave Firefox or play with Chrome during this time and realize, hey, I kind of like it more for whatever reason, and they're not going to come back. This isn't a small bug. This is a major bug that's impacting the one hope people have left for a privacy-centric thing. And they, they, and I'm not saying they're not going to make mistakes in the future or whatever, but we can't go about it and say it's not serious. I think it's a major mess up and I think yeah, they're going to yeah. lose a that, ton of customers from the it. The point I said about it not being serious and being a feature is totally a joke. That is yeah, definitely yeah, no, a bad I, I that, thing. Yeah. Like it's a small bug that has a huge impact. Yes. Or theoretically has a huge impact. So it could is be, it, it might not be as bad as people are making it out to be as far as the impact goes, but it absolutely could be horrible and convince people to try but is it. Is it right so. to call it a bug? It because is. It's, yeah. No. It's no. not a fault in the software. Correct. It's, it's the fact Humor. that a certificate was no longer available. So it's an, a Mozilla error, not a bug. That's true. Because a bug would say to me, there's a certificate. That's right. You can't read it anymore. Well, so I want to gain something in the software. That's true. Yeah. That certificate is no longer available. Therefore, yep. the software is not going to work. Yeah, it's like Michael. Where's it? Oh, it's like Michael not pressing the record button and saying there's a bug in OBS. Oh, wait. Oh, wait. <laughs> Am I recording? Oh, I'm sorry. Um, sorry. Did I say that out loud? You know, my suggestion to fix this is to set up a server reminder so that on the date that it's going to expire, every single entity in the network gets a message that pops up that says, hey, dummy, make sure you renew the certificate. And I think it would fix it in, in the future. And if they want to open source that, they can have it so that it sets a date in the browser and we can all remind 
Mozilla next time the date comes around that, hey, it's time to they would your love you know, that, could, all that input. <laughs> right. Or, you know, the other thing they could do is they could go over to the Asno YouTube channel where we have a tutorial on how to set up an automated <laughs> Let's Encrypt certificate. We can show them how to do that. <laughs> I, I say that in, in jest, right? But like the, the reality is like, I don't think it's a function. I'm, I'm sure Mozilla as an organization, I'm sure they know how to set up reminders. I'm sure they understand that they have to renew the certificate. I'm sure nobody wanted that to happen. I think there was probably some sort of human error. I agree 100%. It's not a bug. It's a human error, but I just, I really feel like they're, it's not like they don't need a solution. Like, I don't think. But they do because there are processes me and you would implement in a business situation to make sure if you have something reliant on a human that you have backups in multiple ways yeah. of ensuring that task. But, I mean, at the same time, let me just, let me just turn that around. Is, is there anything, any, has there ever been anything that's ever happened in your business where you're like, and I know better and I know better. And that happened to me, right? Mm -hmm. Like that happens to me all the time where I'm like, sure. something stupid happens and I'm like, I know better. Well, this backup thing that I was dealing with the past week, right? I knew I should have sat down and been like, listen, I know it's a couple thousand dollars. We really need to buy a dedicated backup machine that has ZFS and snapshotting. Mm -hmm. We absolutely have to have that because if you ever get hit, this is going to be very difficult to recover if we don't catch it in the first 24 to 48 hours. I know that in the back of my head, and yet I didn't really push it because reasons. Uh, so I feel like, so to have somebody to come back in hindsight and be like, you know what you should have had? Like, yeah, I know that. And I'm sure Mozilla knows that. All right. Fair enough point. We've all been there. So this is, you get this one time Mozilla, don't mess up the certificate renewal again. And if you do, then we know it's not an oops, it's just dumb. Right? Yes. Is I'll, that fair? I'll, I'll give them one I think more that's try. Fair. Renew the certificate on time, set some reminders. You'll be gold. We're going to give you a mulligan on this one yeah. next time though. A little bit of a mulligan. As we covered in a prior episode, Microsoft is retooling its Edge browser to be based on Chromium and the and the Blink engine. Now, the new browser will, is available in the Dev and Canary channels for testing, and Microsoft says it loves Linux now. Um, <laughs> we still don't have a Linux version, and so hopefully we will get Internet Explorer, Internet Edge, Microsoft Explorer, Microsoft, whatever they're calling it. Edge hopefully immune. We get, edge immune. Hopefully we get that. Uh, on Linux soon because regular Chromium apparently isn't good enough for us. Now, Google, the, the really big implication here is that the entire internet is going to essentially run on a single engine, and that engine is going to be based essentially on Google, on the, on the Blink engine that, that Chrome came up with. The, I think it's, I don't remember the statistics exactly. It's something like 70 to 80% were, were running on Chrome to begin with. Yeah. And now you add the Internet Explorer, Microsoft Explorer, Internet Edge, Microsoft Edge, whatever you want to call it. All of those users are also going to be on the same, on this, on that same engine. All three of them. You, all three of them. They're going to replace Edge HTML and they're all going to be on Blink. I, it's, it's been so interesting for me working in enterprise and watching all of these software services that come through and say, we require Internet Explorer, we require Microsoft Edge, and we want you to use those, those software platforms. And then to watch every single time, and I do mean every single time, a new version of Microsoft Explorer Edge Internet comes out that nothing works. And then they mm -hmm. have to go and spend like three days and try and retool things and fix things and issue patches and all this stuff to get it to work. Meanwhile, Chrome just keeps chugging along and everybody targets for Chrome and it all just keeps working. It's mm -hmm. only these legacy services that are based on Internet Explorer Edge Microsoft that don't seem to work right. So it makes a lot of sense for Microsoft to step in and say, okay, here's what we're going to do. We're just going to go over to Chrome, but we don't want to call it Chrome because that would be admitting defeat. So we'll just take Chrome, we'll put a new icon on it and a new logo on it, and we'll call it Internet Explorer Edge Microsoft and release it, and then that solves all of our problems. The funny thing is, as it ties to our last story, 
it means that Mozilla is going to continue to fight even more an uphill battle on an already, you know, uneven terrain. And I'm not sure how I feel about that. Listen, I'm going to I'm going to just put this out there and I know it's not a popular opinion and I don't want this to be the case, but I think the days of Firefox really being able to be competitive are pretty much over. Um, I, I still I, use it. I know. And I'm not saying I, I'm happy about this, but I think when you have every major company has switched to basically a Chromium engine, it, it, there's just, there's no possible way I think Firefox is going to be able to continue to compete. All your developers, everybody is going to focus on Chromium. And Google has an amazing way of making other services, especially Firefox, not work as well as they work on their Chrome platform. They do it with YouTube. They do it with their Google Drive. They will basically just slowly, they're pulling the old Microsoft, the old Microsoft, you know, setup of basically extinguishing. And I think it's working. I'm, I'm very sad. Man. I, I know it's is not. Microsoft, is, 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 Google, like, is Google the new Microsoft? In a way, I think so. And, you know, if Microsoft had no choice here. Here's a, a company with endless amounts of money and they could not get a browser to, to function off the ground. Edge That's was, different because Microsoft no, had a, yes, it is because Microsoft had a reputation for being absolute garbage with Internet Explorer for decades. It was. It is, I know, it it is, still, is, it is still terrible. I'm just saying, like, they couldn't do it because they also had the, this Firefox entire reputation. Things with Quantum that blew us all away. They are Edge, amazingly Edge talented. Was, Edge was way better. Way better was, than Internet Explorer. Edge was a fantastic start starting point, but as somebody who had to migrate my work machine to Windows 10 recently, as everything has to move there, having that stupid Edge browser in the way in toolbar because, yeah. like, no, yeah. it only works for half the things. And right. The other things you have to go find Internet Explorer. So they, 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 yes. they did it so. I mean, stupid. yeah, I agree with that. Yeah. I'm just saying, like, Edge is a better browser than Internet Explorer, but they had it the was. whole marginally, the whole fact marginally, that marginally, marginally better. No, it, it, it had better standard support. It had better. There were, no, there, there were. I, I could cite. For, I could spend the whole rest of the episode and tell you all of the things that don't work in Microsoft Edge. Never mind the fact that the Windows 10 preferences crap, where if you click on another browser and try and set it as your default, it then makes you go into the control panel. You have to go into some stupid sub menu to actually tell it you don't want to use that crappy Edge browser. No, no, no. That's, that's different. I, I totally agree that Windows is terrible. I'm, I'm saying, saying like is, the, in the engine that ran the Edge was not as bad as people impl implied it was. But even though yes, it is, it's marginally better than Internet Explorer. Though we can agree on that. Past that, we'll have to agree to disagree. Okay, well, sure. I mean, I, as as a web designer who deals with this stuff all the time and deals with the engines, yeah, I kind of have better experience. Authority on it. The fact is, as, Edge was the greatest browser ever launched. You're all no. Wrong. I think Edge is terrible. I think Edge is absolute garbage. I just I just think that the designers use it sucks. No, no, no. Well, I think bring this back to the story and the fact that there's a new uh, browser <laughs> available. We are negative. We are negative, negative this day this time. It's rubbish. I'm very positive. I'm very listen. I am very positive that this is very negative for for Firefox. Okay. Yes, it's negative okay. for Firefox. But <laughs> I'm, very, I'm very positive of that. Here's what I like about this, and what I wanted. The reason why I put this story in here is because I want all of you to tell me what it would take for you to switch to this browser. Now I know what you're going to say is never, <laughs> but never. <laughs> But what were, would be some things that would make you swoon and go, oh, my gosh, I've got to try this that Microsoft would do? And I'll tell okay. you one of the things that would be there for me, mm -hmm. the fact that they removed Google services out of it and they're putting now they are replacing it with yeah, their own services. Exactly. But, yeah. But Google services to me are 
far more invasive when you look no. at the metadata grabbing versus what Microsoft. Dude, you're, you're trading the devil you know for the devil you don't. It's true. Know. It's exactly it's what Microsoft I was say now. Kind of like Twitter versus Mastodon. I mean, or uh, yeah, Twitter versus Facebook. Uh, Facebook horrible grabs every ounce of data from everywhere you go even once you leave facebook twitter metadata grabs some data within what you're actually posting and doing but nowhere near as severe right. that's how microsoft services in my opinion compare to google okay you want to hear to, to, win the heart, to win the hearts and minds completely open source put it up on github so we can all audit it i and, like that and and then you're gonna have to find something and i don't know what this is but you're gonna have to find something that you can do that chromium doesn't do because chromium is open source and the source code is available right so if you're gonna use the exact same engine you can't just duplicate what already exists with a different icon you're gonna have to do something else so if you wanted to i don't know create maybe here here's an idea what if they didn't use the blink engine what if they used what engine does firefox use i servo Servo. They were using the same, if they were using the Servo engine rather than Edge HTML or the Blink engine and gave some credence to and development clout to the Firefox infrastructure, mm. man, that go a long way to win my heart towards okay. a browser. But as Did, it stands, we say Microsoft loves Linux if they did that? Uh, no, no, no. 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 <laughs> Microsoft, Microsoft loves beating Chrome, is what we would say. Yes. Uh, here, if you if you want to convince me that Microsoft runs Linux, here's what the here's here's a here's a winning strategy to win the hearts and minds. Okay, get rid of your stupid antiquated NT kernel and base on it on a on a Linux kernel. Come up with the transition layer so that all PL code can be executed on that transition layer. So if I could just buy a computer and it had a Linux kernel and you you know maybe had some very maybe you just write a desktop environment completely from scratch that looks exactly like the Windows 10 desktop and has all of those things, but it's a desktop environment specifically for Linux. The entire thing is open source top to bottom. And I would I promise you, if they did that, I'd walk into Best Buy tomorrow, buy 10 laptops, give them to every one of my employees and say, don't you dare remove this great operating system off of it. It works as is. It's an open source Linux-based operating system that's completely secure, completely stable. It has the the they have the clout to run all of existing Microsoft Windows applications. And so we won't have to fight upstream anymore. That would be a awesome gift to Linux users, and then I think every Linux user on the face of the planet would go, yep, I think we agree. Microsoft loves Linux. Yeah. That's about the only way you get there for me. So for you, it's bring it to, uh, for the browser specifically, though. It's completely open source it, change the engine out to yes. Servo, and for me, it would be, I would need to see some features like I put completely open source privacy and security features like containers, which is Firefox's best thing they ever invented in my opinion, I think it's the greatest. I, so awesome. I would have to have containers to move to a different browser like that and promote free speech and openness via app store and services would be another option for me. What, what would you say, Michael? Uh, I would agree with, uh, with, with Noah about the, the engine. Like for me, if it's not Firefox based, I don't care. Yet another Chromium thing, whatever. Who cares? Uh, right. Like, because there's already 50. And uh, that's and none of them do anything any better than the other I one. I think they're going to make a big impact. The only thing I could say is Vivaldi's it's really good. It's going to come pre-installed and everyone they, does The modifications that. they do to Chromium, Vivaldi has some cool stuff. Other than that, it's, although the, to be fair, they're kind of like some of the stuff that they have are from what Firefox already has, but whatever. Sure, sure. What were you saying, Ryan? It's going to take a massive market share, I think. I, I, I When I was talking to some uh, lawyers recently about what services they use, they all were unanimous, Office 365. Yeah. Mm -hmm. yep. Now you get they get machines. They basically they get new machines. Even lawyers and all these different things where you'd hope there would be super high security and all this stuff. They don't. They they go into Office 365 Cloud. That's where they do everything right now. Is in the Office 365 Cloud and having a browser. They go buy a computer. They open it up. That browser is going to be there. 
now it's going to be based on the Chromium uh, Chromium backend. It's going to be fast. It's going to be efficient, and it's going to have Microsoft services tied in right to the browser already set up for you. That's where most professional people are going to go. They're not going to beat Google, but they're going to take a massive market share. That massive market share, some of it's going to come from Firefox. I think this is a major hit. Yeah, I think it's a it's a big it's a it's an issue in the sense that they're they're going to do some they're going to get some because their browser will finally be worth using. I guess will be. Um, you know they'll get some market share from that sense, um, and I don't. I think it will hurt my, my Firefox in a way, and I and I don't think it's going to hurt Chrome at all because it's still their engine yeah. and they don't care. Um, the- but I think that this is like as far as the browser goes, there's really no way for them to make me want to use it unless they were using Firefox. But as far as the um, the Microsoft loving Linux, it would definitely require them to do something that is remotely beneficial to Linux. Like yeah, you're putting the Windows subsystem for Linux. Who cares? Um, right. And like they're you're the, taking our stuff and putting in your stuff. Yeah. Oh look, we released this particular package as a snap. Oh my gosh! Wow, you're taking your software and putting it on our platform. Screw you. Well, the- actually, if they if they brought uh, Microsoft Office to Linux, that would be a different because that would. We like, all need a Snickers bar before we do our next episode. No, no, I, I think this has been one of the best discussion episodes I think we've ever done. <laughs> but I do think that if they brought Microsoft Office to Linux, it would be uh, it would be a gesture that shows that it doesn't benefit them really. And it would benefit Linux, convincing companies to switch over to Linux because, oh, I need to keep my Microsoft Excel and stuff. Like, if they were to do that, I think that would maybe that, like, it would not prove that they love Linux, but it would prove that they kind of like, like Linux. So. Here's the, here's, every day that goes on, less and less people are using Microsoft Office and more people are using are using either 365 or probably G Suite. So just understand that every month that passes that we don't get Office on Linux is is the, the value goes down there. But here's a, I agree True. with both of you how we get there. I, I or or where we get to, I guess I just don't agree on how we get there. I think the part that we're missing and the, the thing that we're not discussing is it's not necessarily about the integration that Microsoft is going to make or may or may not make with other products and services. I think the bigger thing to consider is the com- totally unrelated third-party company that springs up tomorrow that makes widgets and, and has widget service available. That company is going to target the Chrome ecosystem because hey if you target chrome it works on chrome it works on vivaldi it works on chromium it works on microsoft edge internet explorer blah 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 yeah right you know the only place it doesn't work it doesn't work on on mozilla firefox but who cares that's they're they're like 15 percent. so who cares about those guys right that's i think where the real damage comes from uh when when you have when 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 you have the split you know what I think Firefox should do? Here's my opinion. If I was running Firefox tomorrow, do and, not do and not they, say do not say rebase on the Blink Engine. And they told me, hey, we want you to come up with a business plan, and over the next five seconds, you have five seconds to think of one. What is it? I would love to see Firefox start diversifying their portfolio to do something like Librem did with the Privacy Suite, because if it came from Mozilla, I would actually like it. I think a lot more. And they've already done some things like this. If they put a service together where they had chat, mail, tunnel, social files, backup, contacts, pay, and start diversifying away from the browser piece and getting money elsewhere and even pay for services, I would support it 100%. Mm-hmm. But a lot of this is also a storm in a teacup because as our patrons have said, as long as you've got brush, it's sorted. Oh, you're right. Oh, you, we <laughs> forgot about that. Browse. Browse. The greatest browser ever. Going to take the whole market by storm. By storm. So on to some not negative news. Uh, we have Dell has uh, set to triple their AMD offerings, which is yeah, awesome. going to be terrible. 
Okay. <laughs> I'm, kid- I'm kidding. I'm kidding. It's going to be good. I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. I'm kidding. So besides the, the recent 50th anniversary, uh, AMD has set more reasons to celebrate, and that is uh, Dell is planning to triple the amount of AMD-based servers in their portfolio. Yes. So in addition to tripling the options, they will also be offering uh, AMD Rome 7 nanometer architecture when it becomes Can you available. Can just read that again? The, Rome? Right. The Rome 7 nanometer architecture. Oh my gosh, it's music to my ears. <laughs> it becomes available in the second half of this year. So one of the reasons Dell stated they're tripling their offering is due to customer demand, customer demand which is fantastic because it shows that AMD is, yes. like not only we do, do we know in certain aspects of like the tech the enthusiast and all that, that AMD right. is, is, is making big strides. To see that they, their customers on the server side and the enterprise side are also are trying are, are begging for AMD. That is fantastic for both AMD and in you know indirectly because of the Linux support Makes that AMD so has. Happy. It's just for Linux can, as well. Can we also just point out that it also shows how close Dell is listening to their customers? So, yeah. i.e., when their customers said, "Hey, we're developers and we'd really like Linux," they went, "Okay, Haas, here's all of our lineup now shipping with Linux, and they're all there's a hardware enablement stack for Linux on basically every computer we ship." And now, when the industry starts to move towards AMD, Dell lines up and says, "Okay, you want AMD? Fine, let's triple the amount of AMD." machines that we sell. Yeah, exactly. Absolutely. So this is also good in, in many different ways. Number one is it's not just, the customers aren't just demanding it because, you know, of uh, they hear the AMD name out there, maybe they want to diversify, but because of the cost structure and speed differences. So what you have is less cores to match Intel speed. So AMD needs less cores on its Epic line to match the speeds of the Intel source. So the licensing cost for software is less because a lot of licensing is by core. So you don't have to have as many in there and you're going to get just the same speed in there. AMD's reputation, obviously, but it's price per performance is the other great thing that they're offering. So you're getting a lower cost and you're getting a higher performance out of the chips. It's kind of a win-win situation there. I absolutely love that, like Noah said, Dell is listening to their customers. There was a time it would probably be four years ago or so now as the person most family members and friends come to and say, what should I buy that I would have never recommended to Dell because there was a period there. They went through some rough waters, but that period is over. And after me personally having bought an XPS and playing with some of their newer lineup, I'm just blown away by what they're doing. I love that they're listening to their customers. I love their product offerings. I think they're being innovative in some of the things that they're producing out there. So I'm just a big fan. And of course, anybody who's going to support AMD is going to have my love out there. But can we just get an amen for a seven nanometer architecture that's coming in later this year? Hey, amen. I mean, come on. <laughs> it's just unfortunate they, they, they chose the name Rome because at the end of the day, Rome burnt to the ground. <laughs> Oh my gosh, Deb! You're stretching. We were this. trying to be positive. We had one positive. He's article. positive that Rome failed. <laughs> That's true. But when in Rome, you get AMD. That's right. Okay, so on to some exciting gaming news, and only this week we're going to stick with the hardware side of things. New details have emerged on the Valve VR headset named Index. One of the best parts of the Valve Index is the fact that it proudly lists Linux OS under system requirements and will have day one support. Brilliant. The Index will come with two base station motion laser trackers. 
The fixed lasers sweep 100 times a second and are tracked by photonic sensors on the headset and controllers. Field of view is 160 degrees and 115 degrees, and you can have up to four of these devices. The headset has dual 1440 by 1600 RGB LCDs, 50% more subpixels than OLED. The headset runs at 120 hertz with full back compatibility to 90 hertz and an experimental 144 hertz um, section. And it lists a whole raft of other items as well. Now, what surprised me, because I expected it to be much, much higher, is the headset is only going to cost $749. Now, you think, whoa, hang on a minute, only $749. Am I right in thinking that the first VR headsets that came out used to be up in the 2000 bracket? It's not even well, that. It's, to actually, it's less than it's that. Actually, it's actually more than that. It's no, no, no. The, if, you want the, if you want the whole kit... It's nine hundred dollars. If you have, if you already have like HTC Vive stuff, which is compatible with the Index, right. you could get just the headset for like five hundred, or like maybe six hundred. I right. forgot exactly what it is. And but then the the headset plus the controllers is seven hundred and forty nine dollars, right. but that doesn't come with the base stations. So this is what what I what I was shocked at was the price here. Like what I think where Zeb was going is how many years has it been since the Vive's been out? And uh, four. And did they, do we, have we heard stories of the Vive just selling off the shelves? People can't get enough of it or any of these headsets, these VR headsets? They, Actually, they the, 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 the Vive. They had sold a, okay, but they're not yeah. flying off the shelf. Every time I go into a store, I see boxes of them just sitting in stock. Nobody's buying because it it's too expensive. Uh, right? I don't. It's way too expensive. They're I gonna, don't know if I buy it. I think it's anybody... not the market cap that they expected to get out of VR. Do you believe that? Or do you think that every, anybody that wanted to play with VR is playing with VR? I'll tell you why I say that. Maybe, well, yeah, maybe not. How many people do you know actually have one? I mean, is anybody here? So, have one? Yeah, I I have a couple. Here, here's well, the you, yeah. here, here's the here is the here maybe not the Vive per se, but Samsung had their little two hundred dollar thing, and then Google. I don't know if you remember this had the little cardboard fold thing that you could put your phone into and yeah, have a like and that. have it had a had a VR for the masses kind of thing. And mm-hmm. let me let me add this little caveat. Uh, caveat, yeah. Valve's nine nine hundred ninety nine dollar index VR kit reportedly sold out in less than thirty minutes. Yep. Yeah, the pre orders so, were already like I mean, the the fact that we it's don't know Valve the quantity that they that they had there, but it's an expensive price they're asking. To, it is expensive to put out there. Now, Noah, it sounds like you were talking about VR as a whole. I was talking about the HTC Vive specifically, oh, specifically? as a market. Uh, but you're yeah, correct. that's a premium headset. VR as a whole, they're everywhere, right? The boxes. I had the cardboard box. I thought it was cool as so I'll get out. Um, but they had all kinds of different things out there. I think VR is trying to be pushed for. I don't think it's reached the market cap that they were expecting to get out of VR. Mm. Uh, yet and i think this offering at 999 dollars is going to capture people like who are enthusiasts of vr already i don't mm-hmm. think you're gonna pull a whole new market of vr people in at that price point i maybe i'm wrong yeah, i hope no, I, I, I agree with that i agree with that yeah. i didn't realize we're talking compared to five specifically yeah let me ask this very specific question do you think VR headsets are going to go the way of 3D televisions. No, yes. no, 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 yes. no, no, no yes. way. 3D the televisions is are AR, a joke. not VR. Yes, no, Wait, no, no. the future isn't AR for right now. Yes, the future but is AR, not VR. 3D is 3D TVs are a gimmick and they're worthless and you have to be at the right angle yes. and it's just a yes. stupid thing. The All VR is very cool. It's 
awesome yes. just to experience it. I agree with that. But I'm that. Just, and I think VR will be massively useful in the future. And I think I AR think is going to be massively useful in the future. Yeah, I yeah, think yeah. AR is think different. AR That's will, a different argument completely. AR will be the new phone that everybody has everywhere they go. VR will be the thing you have at home or in special use circumstances like no. surgeries, no. things like that, where you no. utilize it. No, AR will be you're going to. You are going to get to a point where people are going to get home from work. They're going to sit down on their couch. They're going to put their VR goggles on and they're going to, they're going to out. They're going to go to wherever the space they want to go. And some people are going to go, it will be, it will be like, what was that game that everybody was into for the second life? It will be like second life, except 10 Good. times more popular. There's going to be some, there's going to be some infrastructure that's going to come out and people are going to start living the life that they have always dreamed of living. And so they live in a 700, you know, 700 apartment complex in downtown Houston that where they have 300 square feet. And when they get home from work, they sit on their crappy $200 couch that they bought at Ikea and they're going to get transformed into a 7,000 square foot mansion where they have every electronic device known to man. And here, here's what really hit it home for me. The cheap little Samsung VR thing that Samsung was selling that you put your phone in. I remember when I got that thing, it was like 250 bucks or 300 bucks. And I remember getting home and we had just moved into our new house and I had a home theater in our old house and we, ha we hadn't put one in, in our new house yet. And I was, I was really kind of down about it. I was like, man, it was really nice. You know, on weekends and stuff, we'd go down and watch movies, put this little VR headset thing on. And all of a sudden, I have a home theater and I click on a button and I can be transformed into like a legit movie theater with like lights and all the stuff and the lights come down and the big screen turns on. And I felt like I was in a home theater and I was like, man, th this, this is powerful. When you can be inside of this thing and you can walk in and say, I want to order a pizza and a pizza actually shows up at your door because it's tied into that ecosystem. I mean, I absolutely think VR yeah, is here's, nothing like 3D TV, nothing like that though. gimmick. You're, you're, well, no, it's not a gimmick. I, I think it will go the way of, I, I guess you're right. It will not go the way of 3D TV and traditional. I don't think it's going to be the popular as people think. Because no, here's no. the thing. Yeah, Honey, like, come yeah, upstairs and come watch movies with me. Okay. You know, nobody's going <laughs> to Yeah, yeah no, she'll have it on. When she'll I watch a movie, I want to see my wife's reaction. I want to, if there's something funny, yeah. I want to laugh with her. That's where augmented reality comes in, where you'll have a TV, mm -hmm. you'll put on some glasses, you can still see your environment and your wife, but you've got this beautiful, clear 75-inch projected image of a movie on the wall. I don't know, I, I don't know. Let me ask you something. Let me ask you something. Prove this. Have you ever been in one part of your house and telegrammed or texted your wife something and then she responds with LOL? I mean, yeah. does that ever happen? Okay, so what you're saying is like in, in in 50 years ago, somebody would have said, "Listen, I would never, I would never have a text conversation, or I'd never have a you know whatever conversation with my family member while we're in the same house because I want to see their reactions." But the reality is, like, if you have avatars that are virtual representations, it will become a thing. Like you 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 tap the thing and like laugh, and then your character is laughing or whatever. Like that will become an experience, and it won't just be you and your wife. It'll be you and your wife and your wife's you know, sister who is married to a guy who works in the air force and he lives in Japan and, and, and you're in your five best friends who live all over the U S but you all get together on Friday nights and watch a movie together. Like that kind of infrastructure and ecosystem is so powerful and the ability to connect with other people will be so powerful. I don't think you get away from that. And there's this beautiful idea about that because it was actually an option in, in Xbox for a while. If you had an Xbox, you could go and I could go with my friends from across the world and we could start a movie at the same time and watch yep. it. You know yep. who killed it? Movie licensing companies because sure. they didn't want everybody not to pay for a license and watch the movie at the same time without right. having 
debate, you know. So, uh, but yeah, I think your point. I just thought of that randomly when you were mentioning that. No, you're, you're cool. right. There's going to be obstructions. It's just we're going to yeah. overcome because VR is just way too I, powerful. I think VR. I think I love your idea of VR. I think AR is going to be far more attractive to people because you're going to have a situation in in business and everywhere. I can keep that headset yep. on and interact with all my emails and everything yep. else. And still, be I, think I think both. I think both. I think one is going to be entertainment focused. I think one's going to be productivity focused. But I yeah. definitely agree. As a guy who had Google Glass, one hundred percent, the future is AR. Yeah, well, a- AR is going to be the dominant thing, and I think that as far as like right. VR is going to be is going to be huge. It's just not going to be as big as AR. All right. So up next in the news is EA joins the Kronos group. So EA, uh, I think they've been voted the most hated company. This was even right after the banking crisis multiple times in a row, right? Um, So we don't expect a whole lot to come from EA that's positive news, but companies can change. They have hearts to people. And uh, when it comes to gaming, companies would be foolish not to take note of the fact that Linux is really picking up lots of steam, pun intended there. Um, But EA has basically decided that they're going to join the Kronos group, which would support Vulkan. And that's pretty big news for such a, you know, a massive company like EA to join that. So what would that allow? Well, if you have Vulkan enabled, number one, probably, and no, we talked about this weeks ago, part of this has to do with the Google Stadia situation. So Google, their Stadia is going to be powered with Vulkan in there. I'm sure EA is going, hey, this is going to be a big money maker in there. We better mm-hmm. figure out this Vulkan thing. And now they're kind of jumping on board with Valve, Unity, Blizzard, um, and all of them to get in there, which means there's going to be a lot of games being developed utilizing Vulkan, or it potentially means that, and that means it will be much easier for us on Linux to run most of these games within Steam or Wine there as they are powered by Vulkan. So I thought this was pretty interesting news and Honestly, I was kind of, I looked at it and I was, wow, I'm surprised. And then I thought about Google Stadia and go, yeah, I'm not so surprised anymore because they're going where the money's at. I hope they don't do that because I hope EA goes out of business. (laughs) Oh, I'm sorry. We're supposed to be positive. Oh, yeah. I am. Yeah. I I, I am positive. Now is a really great time for other companies to compete with EA. Yeah. I agree. I also positively have the opinion that EA should go away. But um, the the, uh, the EA like doing this. I think it would good. be a positive if EA went away. Yeah. But what would we do without Madden 2054? I mean, how would we how would we make right? it through life? Or FIFA that everyone hates. Yes. Uh, but uh, that there is there are some things that I would like to see that EA does actually make. Where like Apex Legends, that'd be cool if that was on Linux. And it may, if they're making stuff for Vulcan, it makes it really like a good option for even if they don't make a Linux version, having a Vulkan based, like Valve basically said that as long as they're making it for Vulkan, it's kind not necessarily easy, but the process of getting a game onto Proton is ridiculously easier in comparison to like a game on DirectX if they use Vulkan. So that mm-hmm. is there there's a lot of potential there. And even if they don't really even if EA is doing it because they're selfish they're accidentally doing good, so that's I guess that's a you know a positive thing to look at. Anybody else surprised to see Blizzard on there as well? Blizzard, uh, yes. Except for the yeah. weird thing is that Blizzard has uses Linux and free and BSD on their back end a lot, 
So I it's know. like so and weird. We'll not support it at all with any of their games. Yeah. And most of their games work just fine, even even without using Proton and everything. So it's like whatever. Anyway, it is is it's it is annoying that these companies are like this. But it's great that you know they're kind of, um, I guess hesitantly joining the party. Yes, they're they're kind of forced to go this direction because it's a better technology, and so they're they're headed to it, and that only benefits us. So it would have been nice if they had jumped on the bandwagon like Steam did and said we're going to help just because it's the right thing to do. They didn't do that, but at least now they're having to join the party either way. So. Yep. What I find interesting about this though is that I had actually forgotten that EA do Need for Speed, and when I was on Windows, that was the only game I used to play on on, on my Windows PC. But since I've been to Linux. I haven't missed it. So that's really, really strange. But if it comes back, that'd be great. But if it doesn't come back, you know. <laughs> <laughs> Next. Next. As Zeb would say. Our software spotlight this week is kind. It's a kindful DD GUI for burning an ISO to a USB drive. Kind is written in QT for quick and just provides a nice visual interface to take some of the risks involved with disk destroyer command. Recently, I've been on the hunt for a better ISO writers, and it seems that Etcher has issues with its interface, and their advertising they've thrown on top of the app just makes it feel like I'm back on Windows. To be honest with you, I, uh, I have never really had great luck um, with Etcher. I've always thought it was a really great idea. It was a neat idea, uh, and the reality is DD has always just kind of, you know, <clears throat> works, so I've never really felt it was a huge problem to solve, but I do agree that it's a huge problem for new users who maybe aren't familiar with command line level utilities. And it's nice just to have a piece of software that you can just double click on run and it, and it just kind of works. Right. What do you guys think? Yeah. It's kind of funny. Cause, uh, that, it's kind of funny, kind of de- funny. Um, the, I've been looking for, as I've been switching distros this week, you know, utilizing some of the different GUIs out there. And Etcher was my go-to for a long time. I loved Etcher. It burned everything. I never had issues with it. Then they seemed to switch companies or they got bought or something. Yeah, and that, these, that Belina things happened. Yeah, and yeah. now it doesn't work, number one. It's half the time does not burn the ISO correctly. It's, you know, I think they're trying to throw ads into it because it seems like a blank, big blank spot in the etcher. Uh, I don't know what's happening with it. But anyways, I needed to find a different one. DD is what a lot of people recommend and will utilize, but they there's a reason they call it Disk Destroyer. If you accidentally type the wrong command in, you're mm-hmm. going to end up... Uh, you know, writing that ISO over your entire hard drive. So it's nice to have, especially when you can't fully pay attention to what you're doing. Um, you know, sometimes I'm re-imaging machines while sitting at the kitchen table with kids running around. I really don't want to think about the DD thing and, and the command to make sure it's perfect. It's just throwing something easy on there. And Kind was the, the utility that I found that basically uses DD, but it's a GUI for it. So you're just clicking the options that you want and then it runs that in the background and it works Fabulous. I love okay, it. Okay, so I've got, I've got a question for you. It's meant to be kind. It's meant to be easy. It's meant to be a GUI, yeah? Yeah. Why do I have to choose my block size? What's all that about? Because it's a DD GUI, and that's what you pretty much do in DD as well. Well, you don't have to, but you would write how much how much blocks you want to write at a time. Usually, the default, I think, is 100. Most people throw in there. I, I always do four. Four max. Four max. You yeah. do four? Wow, I four, do 100. Four max. 
That's just like I, I mean, I only do four megs because I just so so little blocks at a time. I only I do four megs because that's like the standard for a long time. Burn the hundred works. Stuff about with block sizes. Sorry, it's just that's not friendly at all. That's, it's, a, that's, it's a good totally point of not. saying that they should have an option where it's like an like the way that etcher had was an advanced option where you could do other things that it was like and they'd have a default option i think if kind were to do in a default option that just picked a default block size for you yeah. that would be awesome like that makes it like <laughs> a lot better potential to be you know the kind i mean there's no option. wrong choice though if you put well i guess you could put too much but for the most part it's a simple thing to look up and just know okay every time i'm going to write five or in my case a hundred and well, it's going to work i think that's a good point though because uh, the, the reason why people liked etcher and promoted etcher was solely because it was so simple it was just a that's get fair. the i yeah. choose the iso choose the drive click flash and it did, it did everything for you like if yeah. if kind was to do sticks. something like that that'd be awesome yeah, yeah. So our tip and trick of this week is actually sent in by Eric, the IT guy, and yeah. uh, we're gonna we're gonna be meeting Eric at Self, which is gonna be really cool. Uh, but he goes to say that uh, in a world where tech journalism is getting more and more negative, not on this hey, show. What timing! So to have that in right the timeliness of this, Eric. <laughs> he says, "I find Destination Linux to be a great place to go." And remember why I'm working in the IT industry. You're welcome. Well, we lost him. <laughs> we brought you some positivity. Yeah, we're, you're welcome. Uh, one recommendation, recommendation though, I was I would like to see more attempts to troll Zeb. He says, yes. He says, "Let's face it, Michael with his hair and tardiness is easy target." Hey, it is an easy. It's target. true, but hey. Yeah. Uh, a respectful and easygoing gentleman like Zeb, well, that's a harder target. So uh, okay. respectful and easygoing. Oh my gosh! Yeah. I don't see where you that came from. A but patron, so you can find the truth out. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> this is anyway. I came across a really cool tool the other day called DistroTest.net. They host over 628 versions of 219 distros. You just navigate to their website, pick a distro you like, select a version, wait a few seconds, and you get a VNC terminal into a clean uh, instance of the chosen distro. So, like that, and also the terminal aspect is like it's not really it's it's just a you, you VNC into it, and you have the visual uh, UI and everything as well. Uh, so you can you can either use VNC through the website or connect to it like with a, a tool like Rimina. So like you can do the RDP connection to it. Uh, you can play around with the instance for an hour and then shut it down. And you can just try out different aspects to it and here and there. It says, would be a great tool for distro hoppers wanting to try out a different distro before diving in and seeing if there's newer versions of an OS fixes that odd bug that you might be using or might be seeing for yourself. Uh, I actually did try this out when we when we got the e email. Uh, DistroTest.net is really interesting. However, it, if you just want to play with it and see how the what the UI is or see what they have installed as their default options and things like that, it's an it's a good idea and it's a good option to try out for those reasons. But if you're gonna like try to test it with this, it's not really a like a, a service it's not that fast gives you, enough, yeah. yeah it, it's it's very sluggish. I even tested it with um like i3 based systems or uh with a JW or I think it was JWM. I'm not sure, but uh and Antics is a very lightweight distro that has a very minimal window manager and it was still fairly sluggish. It's so funny you said Antics because that's the one I, I just opened the site and popped it up and had a VNC into Antics while you were going through the news story there. That's all. But it is slow. It is kind of like, you know, it, it's clunky. But I think it is a really cool idea just to kind of check out some of these oh, yeah. distros that you haven't seen before. Eric, the IT guy, is also an awesome part of the Ask Noah show and does the news section mm -hmm. each and every week. So it's awesome that you listen to the show. We're sorry this show's so negative. <laughs> 
I, I, in fact, I not to uh, not to steal his thunder or anything like that, but uh, I believe, I believe, starting Monday, it will be Monday, Wednesday, and Friday. The Linux Newswire will be released as a separate segment, a separate podcast published in a separate feed, and available on your smart hockey pucks. So, if you want to add nice. Linux Newswire to your uh, to your daily routine, then you can get the latest to Linux every day when you wake up. That's right. And we all like Eric, the IT guy, and only some of us like Noah. So it's an awesome thing out there to have as a separate podcast. That is a fantastic... Wait, what? <laughs> Never yeah, mind. It looks like a great site, but it is ever so slightly flawed in as much as the screen doesn't size properly because, hey, I've just gone into Peppermint OS and there's no menu bar. But when I press the Windows key, up pops the menu. So it's not fully displaying. So I'll have to test some other OSs just to see whether it's doing the same thing. Did your antics menu show or did you not go yeah, into it? Yeah, wor it worked fine. It showed I, I, me, yeah. Yeah. So I, I think this is an awesome tool. I had no idea mm, it even existed. Great. That's what I love when people send in the tips and tricks or software like this. Um, even if you think we might know about it, send it in. You'd be surprised. There are things that just never make it on our radar. And I love this tip. I thought it was something that I will definitely, I bookmarked it and will definitely keep utilizing just to look at what, folks are doing and also for me having to look for accessibility options when I'm doing looking into distros this is a quick way for me to spin one up without having to do it myself and look and see what options and settings they have yep now this looks great I've definitely bookmarked it all right so a big thank you to each and every one of you for supporting us by watching or listening to destination Linux we love our patrons and coffee supporters out there and we want to give a special shout out to you Thank you so much for continuing to support this show each and every week. And if you want to become a patron, you can for just a single dollar. And that's darn near free. That's right. We're now on coffee as a way to support the show. Coffee offers a nice monthly option that will allow you to have the same perks as Patreon. There's also a link in the show notes and on our website to join coffee. The perks include things like access to the live shows and unedited version of the show. So you can see when I try and talk with my microphone off for the first five seconds and then figure it out and turn it back on. That's perfect. And it's the worst possible show you can get for a dollar. That That's right. Yeah. You get the worst possible show for the most amount of money. It makes perfect sense. <laughs> so even if you're not a patron and you're watching this um, just on, on YouTube because you love the show, please get back to us and let us know what you think. Ask those burning questions. Give us some tips and tricks. Let us know what software you use. Let us know how you are going to troll Zeb in the future. How are you going to get a rise like Eric, the IT guy, wants to see? So send those emails in to comments at destinationlinux.org. And you can also get us via other methods of social media. And for that, you can find out what Michael has set up for us on destinationlinux.org forward slash contact. The content doesn't stop here. We've got a bunch of our own channels. Ryan has been making Linux-related YouTube videos at youtube.com slash dosgeek, where he does tutorials, how-tos, reviews. All of that can be found there. Zeb can be found playing Eurotruck Simulator at youtube.com slash zebityboss. Michael does every kind of Linux show you could imagine. News, <laughs> discussion. He's not really sure about it. Sometimes he talks about his own shows wrong, but that's really what he does. And Noah does the Ask Noah show which is a show where we take your questions, Linux-related, business-related questions at asknoahshow.com, streamed every Tuesday at 6 p.m. Central, asknoahshow.com. <laughs> right. And tuxdigital.com. between a pro, you know? Well, a, well actually, tuxdigital.com made asknoahshow.com, so there you That's go. That's true. That is, he's not wrong. <laughs> you can also remember to like that smash button and share the show on social media. 
And uh, everybody have a great week. And remember that the journey itself is just as important as the destination. Thanks, everyone. Bye-bye. Speaking of launching things that are bad. (laughs) Whoa, I didn't expect you to go there. Wow, shots fired. This isn't going to happen. Yeah, I'm editing that. (laughs) I knew it. (laughs) 